hope everyone was able to come here tonight and weren't too uh, bothered by the, the gale outside. <laughs> um, might be quite a good example for my sermon, so but let's, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> Money is always an awkward topic to discuss, whether it's about how much we earn, how much we save, or what we are doing with our money, um, it's awkward. And I think it's fair to say uh, this is amplified or can be made a whole lot more awkward within a church context. It not only is awkward to discuss with others, but it can also cause so much anxiety and fear in our own lives, since we are made to believe that money makes the world go round. With our economic situation as dire as it is, with the rising cost of living and interest rates, I completely understand and sympathize that this talk may be the last thing you want to hear. But Paul and the Bible does talk about our giving. And Paul in this passage certainly had a few words to say on this topic. And so today I want to offer everyone here an invitation to trust God and realize what joy can come through trusting God. And so for the next 15 minutes or so, let's be awfully un-British and talk about the dreaded topic of money. <laughs> the background to this passage is quite interesting. Essentially, the Corinthian church, who by the way is quite wealthy, promised to give financial support to the church in Jerusalem who were suffering from a severe famine at this time. However, the Corinthians never went through with their commitment you know, and so that's the sort of context of this passage. You know, it is easy to talk the talk, but it's even harder to actually walk the walk. Yet Paul doesn't criticize or guilt trip the Corinthians into following through their promise into giving, but he instead takes another approach. He uses the example of the Macedonian church to encourage and embolden the Corinthian church to generosity. We read in verse 2, out of the most severe trial, the Macedonians' overflowing joy and their, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. This verse is pretty incredible if you think about it. I don't know about you, but whenever I go through a difficult period, I don't usually look outwards, but look inwards. Self-preservation seems to be the typical response to this situation. Furthermore, how on earth can extreme poverty well up extreme generosity? How can you be generous and yet have nothing to be generous with? In Mark chapter 12, there's a great example. And we read about the, the poor widow who only gave two copper coins into the temple collection whilst everyone else gave loads of money. But interestingly, Jesus comments on this situation afterwards and says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. It's very easy to give if you have a lot to give but it can be even harder to give if you are living with little and can only give the little you have. 
Yet the Macedonian church did give from this place of poverty. The example of the Macedonian church's abundant giving despite their own struggles is so relevant for this time. As I mentioned at the beginning, we live in uncertain times. You know financial costs are becoming increasingly burdensome and this is likely to get worse. And yet, we as God's people have a choice in how we approach this season. We can either join in with fear, which is a normal response, by the way, but that is not the only choice which we have. The Macedonian church realized that their lack of material wealth did not even come close to the joy of a relationship with God. They trusted God's goodness and his abundant life, which trumps any fear about providing for themselves. In verse five, we read, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Their foundation, their trust was firmly in God and from this foundation sprung out such beautiful generosity. I recently heard a story from a Soma mission who are uh, one of Christchurch's mission partners Uh, And it was a mission to uh, Congolese refugees who were sheltering in Uganda. It was about a a man who uh, was a farmer. He had a farm in the Congo. um, And his farm was taken over by violent rebels. And they took pretty much most of the produce on the farm. But he was able to, in the dark of night every week, go back to this farm and to retrieve what he could. One Sunday, there was, uh, there was a chance to offer. It was the offering. Um, and he came up the aisle and presented a pineapple. That was his offering. That was his generosity. And I think it's such a beautiful example of someone giving out of extreme poverty. I was listening to a sermon recently by Archie Coates, who's the vicar of HDB. Um, He spoke about how we have a choice this season about breaking the scarcity mindset. Now, the scarcity mindset is not sort of some self-help sort of, you know, course which you can can go on. It's sort of this, it's this idea that, you know, we we as a society, you know, we, we focus on what we don't have. We focus on the little which we don't have. And I feel this, this scarcity mindset plagues our society and certainly has plagued my mind. You see, the Macedonian church did not give from material wealth, but from their spiritual wealth. Their spiritual well was deep and from it flowed out generosity. With the rising financial challenges facing us this season, Many of us will be in a similar position to the Macedonians of living in a place of financial difficulty and uncertainty. And yet we can respond like the Macedonians responded from a place of poverty. (coughs) We can show to those around us that generous giving is not just for when we have plenty, but also for when we have nothing. 
This is such a strong witness to those around us since it shows more than anything the eternal hope at the heart of the Christian faith. That despite the challenges of the world, God's grace and joy is still sufficient and he is still in control. Maybe you need to let the Holy Spirit to transform and break this scarcity mindset this season. Maybe you need to ask him to increase your faith and trust that God is the only one who can truly satisfy, comfort, and protect you in this season. In both passages, grace is also a key theme. In fact, the Greek word for grace, which is charis, is used eight times in chapters eight and nine. For example, we read about the grace of giving in verse seven of 2 Corinthians 8, and the surpassing grace which God has given the Corinthian church in verse 14 of the other passage. Paul wants to highlight to the Corinthian church that God's generous grace overflows in the hearts of the Macedonian church, and this motivates their giving to the Jerusalem church. And from this, he wants the Corinthian church to realize the grace which has been given to them. The grace we are talking about here is not saving grace, but enabling or empowering grace. Many of us in this room have experienced the saving grace of Christ. But I want to invite you to be empowered by this grace so that it overflows into your giving. It's easy to think of grace as an abstract theory of something which sort of God has given through Christ or maybe sort of something intellectual but not necessarily applicable to your everyday. You know, I I sometimes wonder what grace actually looks like in my life. But here we have a practical outworking of grace in the Macedonian church. Paul uses them as an example of a group of people who have not only understood what grace means intellectually, but have internalized grace in their hearts. and And this is what has changed them and their attitude to giving. Grace should change us. Grace should enable us to give. I never gave any money when I was at university. Uh, I always had the mindset that, you know, I'm a poor university student. Why on earth does my church need my money? So stop asking. I'm not interested. And yet the funny thing was, I always seemed to have enough money for the pub or for a takeaway or essentially for myself. And actually, on reflection, it was symptomatic of a wider heart issue. And more often than not, our relationship with money is more about what's going on in here than what we tell ourselves it's about, such as not having enough to pay bills. I personally hadn't fully absorbed God's grace in my life. I may have intellectually understood what grace is and what it has done for me, but I hadn't really internalized it or allowed it to overflow into my everyday life and how I make practical decisions like where I spend my money. Paul, in verse 9, then gives us a good reason as any to give. He tells the Corinthian believers, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. 
Paul is highlighting this scandalous truth that God, from whom the whole universe flowed, put himself in extreme poverty by taking on a human flesh and being born in a stable. He died an excruciatingly painful slave's death on a cross so that you may experience his grace and abundant life. Jesus' poverty was not an end in and of itself. He didn't experience this earthly disposition for the sake of nothing. But he came amongst us in order to give himself generously for us. And by the way, his productivity, such as his miracles, his teaching, his forgiveness, was also entirely self-giving. There was no eternal preservation of himself. He held nothing back. He gave everything for you. All that he had, he self-emptied. We give because he first gave. All that we have should be his. I think this, this verse, this is sort of poem in Philippians, I think really just sums this up so well. You know, we have Jesus who being in his very nature God did not consider him equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus' self-giving is the model which should motivate our giving since he gave it all for us. Nothing we can do can live up to what he has done for you and me. If you are here today and you would call yourself a disciple of Christ, you would know that your journey is a process of continually giving more of yourself to Jesus in recognition of what he has done for you. And one way we can do this is through our spending and our giving. In the other passage which we read, we read that each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's really important not to compare yourself with others and their attitude to giving. Of course, we can be inspired and encouraged by others. This is what Paul was doing with the Macedonians. But we shouldn't compare someone else's situation with ourselves. I mean, let's face it, we all have different situations. We are all in different positions. Your giving is between yourself and God. Nor should you feel coerced into any giving. And I apologize if you have ever felt guilt from someone else over your giving. However, this does not mean there is still not this invitation for generous giving. And what does it go on to say if we accept this invitation to be generous? That God is able to bless you abundantly, that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, and that you will be enriched in every way. Now, I'm not going to say that God's blessing because of your giving will be in exactly the way you expect or think you want. God is not a slot machine. But through your giving, you can and will experience his abundant blessing. Let's trust Jesus' words that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Someone told me this story about how they were blessed by God through their giving. 
Um, they were at university and they only had 15 pounds left in their bank account. Um, and they were on their way to dinner. And yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Why are you going to dinner with only 15 pounds in your bank account? But anyway, um, as they were on their way to dinner, um, a homeless individual came up and said, uh, can I have 15 pounds to top up my Oyster card? Now, uh, this person said, no, because I need to go to dinner. I need to, and I need the 15 pounds to pay for my meal. But then the, then the homeless person asked again and again and again. And eventually, this person relented and topped up the homeless person's Oyster card, having no money for dinner. But the remarkable thing which happened was that at dinner, someone came up to her and said, I feel God wants to pay for your meal for the sum of 15 pounds. This person was blessed by God through her giving, but she was blessed by God not because of the person paying for the meal, but because, her, because she realized that her finances belong to God and that he satisfies all our needs. As I mentioned before, your financial giving is something between you and God. However, for those who haven't given before, why not start by asking God, what is something I have every week but don't necessarily need? Maybe it's a coffee on your way to work, or maybe it's that takeaway, or even that piece of clothing. How can you start in handing over your finances to him? It could even start with a fiver in the collection tonight. There's this really amazing story from John Wesley, who's this really famous preacher. Um, and it's about how he was, when he was at uh, university, he was in his room and he had just bought some new paintings. Um, a, the chambermaid came in and uh, she was only wearing a really thin dress and it was bitterly cold. So he put his hand into his pocket to find some coins for a, for a coat and he found he didn't have enough to pay for her coat. There and then, he realized his priorities were skewed, and for that changed his attitude to giving. And you know, um, sometimes all it takes is for us to realize that there are possessions in our life which we want, but maybe not need. For me personally, I find that once you start to give, a standing order is a helpful way of incorporating giving into your lifestyle or budget since it becomes a part of your routine and you can accommodate it into your financial planning. The purpose of this talk is not to make you feel guilty about your giving or lack of. I hope this passage makes it clear that we don't give from guilt, but actually quite the opposite. We give because Jesus gave first. Our giving comes from his generous grace to us and we can continually draw on this well of grace so that it overflows in our lives and enables us to give generously with our whole heart. I also really hope and pray that through your giving, you can experience the joy and blessing of God. I think it would be good after I finish this talk to maybe reflect personally on what and how you can give financially to God. As I said before, this is between you and him. 
Don't look to your right or your left, but just ask God for him to touch your heart with his grace and ask him specifically what he wants from, from you. The answer might surprise you. I'm just going to finish with uh, the last line of a, of a classic hymn, um, which appropriately sums up what our attitude as Christians should be not only in giving, but in our whole lives. You know, we, we have this love, which is so amazing, which is so divine. It demands our lives, our souls, our all. Amen.